This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Well, while the, uh, especially the central and upper Midwest braces for another big winter storm, we'll take a look at some other issues going on. We'll get an update on what's going on in the renewable fuels industry with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. They had their annual fly-in to Washington, D.C. last week. We'll discuss some of those issues. John Newton, chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, will join us today. We'll take a look at the ag economy in general, the dairy economy in particular, and uh, the issues they're dealing with and uh, the outlook for the dairy economy. And we'll talk trade issues with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean association a little bit later on in the program as well but let's start it off with jerry hagstrom with the hagstrom report jerry thanks for joining us good morning i'm calling you today from the uh from the capitol where the north american agricultural journalists are meeting and in an hour we will meet with the chairs and the ranking members of the house and senate agriculture committee well of course congress getting ready for their easter break do you expect much action before then well, the big action is that this week, uh, uh, Secretary Purdue, Agriculture Secretary Purdue, will will testify before the House and Senate Agriculture Appropriations Subcommittees. Uh, that's the big action this week. Uh, but in terms of of actually passing any legislation, I don't really see it. Uh, you know, there's still uh, disagreement over the uh, disaster bill because the Democrats want more money for Puerto Rico, which has so many problems after its hurricane. Uh, and, the, and Trump and the, and the uh, Senate Republicans are resisting that. So none of that's been resolved yet. Senator Grassley told us yesterday that whenever they do get that done, uh, there will be uh, funding in there to uh, help with uh, lost grain from some of those collapsed bins we have seen from the flooding uh, just wonder when that'll get done. I said yesterday, and with another storm bearing down on the upper Midwest, uh, this may be coming true already. I said, sadly, there probably will be another disaster before Congress gets around to passing uh, the uh, assistance to help with those that have already happened. Uh, uh, yes, that's highly possible, although I might say the only silver lining in that would be that if there is more damage from the from these next round of storms, it's possible that the impact of that could be reflected in what what goes into the final bill. Uh, this issue of the of the stored grain is a is a big one because of course it's not covered by crop insurance. It's not covered by any of the uh, pr- programs in the farm bill. So uh, uh, I'm so glad that Senator Grassley said that would be included. Let's turn to trade, where we see Canada it looks to be preparing a list of products facing uh, retaliatory tariffs on the U.S., including ag products. That's right, yes. The, uh, uh, the Canadian ambassador to the United States spoke to the ad journalist yesterday. He was our honored uh, speaker at lunch, and uh, he told us, you know, Canada really wants this agreement to be done. They want it to be done by June because that's when the campaigns for the Canadian Parliament begin. Uh, I think it's difficult to see how it could get done that fast. It looks to me like it's going to be uh, dragged out. But indeed, they are insisting that these steel and aluminum tariffs be lifted. Uh, they won't sign it until then, and they're preparing a fresh retaliatory list uh, so that uh, they can put more pressure on U.S. Uh, products. And the ones they mentioned were apples and wine and ethanol uh, and uh, pork. Uh, he won't give a definitive list now. Uh, that would have to be come out, you know, from the government in, in uh, Ottawa. Uh, but those are likely to be uh, have higher tariffs on them in the future. Meanwhile, in Mexico, it looks like they're about to pass a major 
reform to his, to their labor laws, and that is something that uh, Speaker Pelosi and others have uh, mentioned would need to happen before uh, they would uh, take up the the uh, new USMCA in the House. Yes, that does appear to be a good sign. Uh, I am uh, I'm hopeful that that will uh, that that will happen. Uh, and that could, you know, that could push the bill, uh, that could push the, the bill or, or push Congress to approve the agreement. You hearing anything on China there at your meeting? No, we haven't heard, no, now everything seems to be, everything seems to be quiet on the China front at the moment. Uh, nobody is saying uh, anything new. Of course, the, you know, Washington is, is in an uproar over, the firing of the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security and other people in that department. Uh, so that's what everybody is talking about. They've kind of forgotten about everything everything else. Uh, and I would say that's a particularly uh, difficult situation since, you know, Congress is going to be leaving town this week, so everybody's kind of reacting to that, including uh, Senator Grassley, who has said, don't fire any more officials. Yeah, that's it's kind of been some interesting give and take lately between uh, Senator Grassley and the president. They certainly disagree on tariffs and uh, some other issues as well. Although he did say to us yesterday, he acknowledged that tariffs may uh, help bring about a, a deal with China, but he certainly is pushing to get those tariffs taken off of Mexico and Canada. Yes, uh, yes, and he's also pushing EPA on these small refinery exemptions that are making uh, the uh, uh, the approval of E15 year-round to be less valuable uh, uh, than, than everyone had hoped. Are you hearing anything about the tax extenders package, which would include the biodiesel tax credit? Anything uh, happening there? Only that bills have been introduced, um, that Senator Grassley said he hoped that the House would pass the bill and that he, that he could add a tax extenders uh if, if, if the tax extenders for biofuels are not in the bill, that uh, that he could add them on the Senate side. Uh, but the, the House has not acted on that bill. And meanwhile, there's also uh, a lot, lot of concerns, of course, about uh, the dairy industry. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on in the program. Uh, the numbers have not been good there for some time. Uh, USDA is trying to implement the farm bill and some things in there that could help. Are you hearing anything along those lines? Uh, well, the only thing, yesterday, Roger Johnson, the president of Farmers Union, uh, told the ag journalist that he has told the members of his organization that want the, um, uh, the, the that, that want a supply management program, that if they're going to do that, they're going to have to raise the, in, the issue from the countryside, because uh, lawmakers in Washington will not be interested in it unless there's pressure from the countryside to do it. Yeah, I'm going to talk more about that a little bit later with John Newton with Farm Bureau uh, to see what he thinks of the, the idea of going back to some t- kind of supply management. All right, sounds like you have a good meeting going there, Jerry. Thanks for the report. We appreciate it. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. We'll turn our attention to the renewable fuels industry next. The CEO of the American uh, Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings, will join us next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Powerful. Effective. Proven. Tough. Consistent. Reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin, we want to talk about the Dairy Pride Act that she is once again helping to sponsor. We have seen an explosion of imitation products that have gotten away with using dairy's good name for their own benefit. 
which is actually against the law, and that law must be enforced. So the Dairy Pride Act pushes the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to actually enforce the law because mislabeling of plant-based products as milk really does hurt our dairy farmers, and their hard work should be recognized and the law should be enforced. Dairy farmers across America are sort of in a perfect storm of uh, unfavorable conditions, whether that's the low price that they're getting for their milk or uh, issues of oversupply and trade wars. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Last week, the American Coalition for Ethanol held their annual fly-in to Washington, D.C. Here to tell us about it is the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings. Brian, thanks for joining us. Uh, I think I have a pretty good idea of what a couple of the items at the top of the list of discussion were last week. <laughs> I bet you do, Mike. I bet you do. We've <laughs> talked about them frequently. Uh, yeah, we had three sort of core things we were trying to accomplish last week. First... Um, put some pressure on getting this E15 rulemaking done on time so retailers can offer the, the option uh, to customers year-round uh, starting June 1st. Two, turning up the heat on the problems associated with small refinery exemptions under the RFS and making it clear that E15 year-round is going to be uh, marginalized. It's going to be hampered if the small refinery exemptions continue to be allowed. Um, and then finally, uh, sort of a different topic, but with the House really uh, refocusing on climate change uh, and global warming and, and policies that might address those issues, we talked about how in a reasonable pathway there is a role for agriculture and corn ethanol to help play a role in reducing greenhouse gases. And so we did some very basic education on how farmers are getting better um, in producing crops, particularly corn, more sustainable, how ethanol producers have adopted technologies or process improvements that are reducing the greenhouse gas footprint of corn ethanol, and just doing some basic education on that topic. 
And along those lines, a new study out from USDA showing the positive impact of ethanol use on greenhouse gas emissions. How is that study, you think, being received, will be received? Will it, uh, will it uh, move the, the needle on this uh, in favor of more renewable fuels being used in this push, uh, you know, on the climate? Or is it going to be dismissed uh, as just another report that's out there and, and kind of are they going to just kind of look past it, you think? How do you, how do you think it's going to be received? Uh, the timing of the, the report was really fortuitous, and we were grateful that USDA put the report out as we were having that same conversation on Capitol Hill. To answer your question, uh, Mike, I think this report will be taken seriously because it is peer-reviewed. A lot of times, you know, a group might just pay for uh, a consultant to write a report, and they put it out there on the World Wide Web, and, and people can have at it. In this case, uh, USDA did the scientific analysis, and then they sent it to uh, a panel of peer reviewers, um, critics, if you will, who tried to poke holes in it, and then it was later published in a scientific journal. And so it gives the report from USDA more credibility, um, and I think it helps beef up the case that corn ethanol is so much better for the environment than what we have been getting credit for than what the uh, the sort of modelers were estimating back in 2007 when the renewable fuel standard was adopted. And so I think it will be a credible piece of evidence that, that, that we can pile on top of an already pretty impre- impressive mountain of evidence that agriculture and corn ethanol um, can help play a role in reducing greenhouse gases. Yesterday, talking with Senator Grassley, I mentioned that I, I did not see much difference between a Andrew Wheeler-led EPA and a Scott Pruitt-led EPA when it comes to uh, these small refinery exemptions. He was willing to give uh, Wheeler the benefit of the doubt, saying that he's kind of just uh, finishing up with what Pruitt had started and was willing to wait to see where he goes from here. Uh, Are you that uh, generous and optimistic about uh, Andrew Wheeler and where we're going, uh, where he's going with these uh, SREs? Well, I never, I never, ever want to disagree with Senator Grassley, but I just to answer your question honestly, I'm not, I'm not quite as comfortable with Administrator Wheeler as, as Senator Grassley is. Um, a lot will be uh, revealed about Andy Wheeler as soon as he makes the decision about the nearly 40 small refinery exemption requests for the 2018 year that are piled up on his desk right now. When we met with EPA last week. Um, we didn't come away with, and we did not meet with the administrator, but someone under him, but we did not come away with a good feeling about what EPA is going to do about those exemption requests, Mike. Um, but, you know, we'll, you know, we'll wait to see. I, I know that EPA is waiting on the guidance from the Department of Energy regarding whether there is hardship or not regarding those small refinery exemption requests. And and we're, we're led to believe EPA will start making decisions on those SRE requests for 2018 um, in, in the coming days. I just get the feeling, you know, as we wait for the E15 summer announcement, I, I just get the feeling that uh, they're going to try to portray this as, you know, giving something to both sides. That the ethanol industry, you're going to get summer uh, year-round sales of E15, but uh, the oil industry, you're going to continue to get these waivers, even though, as you've pointed out, those waivers more than, uh, uh, you know, more than uh, take away from the uh, positive impact summer sales, year-round sales of E15 would have. So it's really not a fair give and take here, not a balance at all, but I, I, I just feel like the administration will portray it that way. I couldn't agree with you more, and that's one reason we tried to really deliver that cold, hard sober news to Capitol Hill, I was really taken back by how many lawmakers thought, um, okay, the net the net here is that you guys are winners, right, E15. And we had to back them up and explain that in the short term, E15 is going to be a few hundred million gallons of ethanol demand. Um, but we're staring at nearly 3 billion, 2.61 billion gallons of lost um, renewable fuel standard volume based on the small refinery uh, exemptions. And so that math is pretty easy. No, it's not a net benefit for us. It's a net loss. And until and unless we correct those, it will continue to be a net loss. Yes, E15, 10 years from now, is going to mean probably 
six to seven billion gallons of demand on top of what we have today. But that is long-term, short-term. This is not a net winner for us uh, unless those small refinery exemptions are addressed. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. That being said, do you think they can get this done by June 1st to allow E15 summer sales? So we really put the EPA official that we met with um, on the on the hot seat regarding that and the small refinery exemptions, and he spoke with a great deal of confidence that they can and will get this E15 rulemaking done. He said in May, um, before the end of May, and so I'm hopeful that that will be the case. But as you know, we have the comment period that still is going to run until the end of nearly the end of April. Um, what, I, what I know, though, is that EPA had been working on the legal justification for extending the reed vapor pressure waiver to E15 for, frankly, months before the president even announced this back in October, and they put the proposed rule out just a month ago in March. And so I do know a lot of the important legal legwork had been done. Um, again, we've talked about this. It would represent a land speed record if EPA gets it done by the end of May in time for June 1st. But we did, to give them credit, we did walk away with um, a fair degree of, of confidence that they were really focused on getting the, the rulemaking done on time. And, Brian, we know the flooding in the Midwest has really uh, impacted the ethanol industry. Now another storm looks to be bearing down uh, later this week on uh, parts of the upper Midwest. Uh, What's your assessment of how this has impacted the industry? Well, we've got some members along the Missouri River, either on the western Iowa side or eastern Nebraska side, that have had their um, transportation routes really choked off, whether it's roads or or rail. Uh, They've had a hard time getting corn in. Um, they've had a hard time shipping ethanol out. Some have had to throttle back, idle back production, or even shut down for a period of time because they don't have enough storage um, to keep things sort of moving. And so it has created cert- certain uh, a certain mess for some of our producers. I know the railroads are working overtime to try and restore service, um, but a lot of these cars have to go in and have their wheels replaced. And so it's just an unfortunate time-consuming uh, uh, problem in the midst of some of these other challenges we're facing. But um, I know the supply is ample. Uh, refiners have plenty of access to, to, to ethanol. Um, you know, they just have to be a little more creative about how they get it. But we're, we're sitting on record stockpiles of ethanol um, production, so the, the, the supply is out there. All right, Brian, as always, thanks for the update. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Later in the program, we're going to talk trade with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. But up next, the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton, as we take a look at the ag economy in general, the dairy economy in particular. That's next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. 
For the grain and oil seed sector, we've got a defensive tone for corn, Chicago wheat, and soybean futures are a fraction lower an hour into the day. Meanwhile, for livestock, the Merck triple-digit losses in lean hog futures and a mix in cattle futures. Major U.S. stock indexes falling on Tuesday as investors assess the potential fallout from the Trump administration's threat to impose new tariffs on European imports. The Trump administration on Monday releasing a list of some $11 billion worth of European goods it was considering putting tariffs on. USDA will release its WASD and crop production numbers on this Tuesday at 11 central time. It's almost certain, according to trade guesses, that USDA will increase its estimate of U.S. ending corn stocks for 2018-19. Meanwhile, that major spring storm forecast for the Midwest and southern northern plains this week is expected to stress cattle and make transportation very difficult. Other areas will face field and river flooding because of heavy rains on already saturated soils. In the grains, soybeans may contract down a fraction of a cent an hour into the day at 898. November at 931, down a penny and a quarter. New crop December corn down a penny and three quarters at 387 and a quarter. Chicago wheat July down four and a half at 464 and a quarter. Around a nickel lower in Kansas City, fraction to a penny lower in Minneapolis spring wheat. Live cattle futures June contract up 15 at 120.72. Feeder cattle May down 32 at 150.22. Lean hog futures June down $2 per hundredweight at 96.15. The Dow down 186 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, Rusty Halverson, American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, joining us now is the Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton, as we want to take a look at the ag economy. And, uh, John, thank you for joining us. Certainly uh, another winter storm is not going to help the situation at all. No, it's certainly not. We've got a lot of farmers across the country still recovering from, from pretty devastating natural disasters, where it, whether it's the, the hurricanes uh, in 2018 or the flooding in the Midwest. So uh, continued problems with Mother Nature are certainly going to uh, cause some delays in, in spring planting this year. I believe at this point in time, uh, most folks expect us to, to be about 2% planted on corn. What did you think of the latest numbers from USDA where they found not only expecting more corn acres, but found more corn uh, in stocks? Well, <laughs> I think one of the big big surprises was that they expect growers in the Dakotas to add about 1.6 million additional acres of corn. That's the numbers we saw in the prospective plantings report that was released on March 29th. Uh, you know, 93 million acres of corn, that's, that's quite a lot of acres when you think about uh, how many growers there in Nebraska and Iowa and, and, and uh, Missouri are likely going to see delayed plantings this year due to the adverse weather conditions that they've faced. Uh, later planting could lead to more soybean acres. Uh, and we're starting to see some bearish uh, sentiment form in, in both the corn market uh, and the soybean market, A, on the back of the larger-than-anticipated corn stocks, uh, which points to potentially slower corn demand this year, uh, and then continued uncertainty on whether or not we're going to be able to move 
uh, any of that old crop soybeans uh, to China in the export space. There have been cases built for a friendlier scenario for corn, especially uh, in perhaps a deal with China could actually be really good for for corn, even though we usually think of that as a soybean deal. Uh, What are your thoughts on uh, going forward in this corn market? Well, I think, you know, when you you think about China, people look to China on not only corn, but they think, thought about wheat, soybeans, pork, uh, beef, etc., uh, it's a it's a large market. Uh, I think the the challenge that we have here, they've made a lot of commitments to buy product. Uh, commitments, however, are not products that are loaded on a ship and, and sent offshore. So uh, we're still monitoring the grain export inspections to see uh, an uptick in the product that's that's uh, actually been shipped to China. And overall, I think a, a resolution of this trade uh, situation, a quick resolution on the 232 tariffs with Mexico and Canada, it uh, could go a long way to, to helping the corn market, but, but the crop's going to be better in South America, uh, and we're going to see a lot more uh, competition in the global space, not only in corn, but also in wheat. And, and I think that, that has a bearish uh, kind of undertone in the markets right now. A, a good China deal and passage of USMCA would seem to be a great one-two uh, addition and really a, a boost, but... Would that do it? I mean, if if those two things come about, is that enough to offset all this other negative news? Well, you know, it's it's a good step in the right direction. The other thing that that you look at is maybe the potential to do some sort of deal with with Japan. Uh, you know, we have the the rest of the members of TPP went ahead without us, and so we we now don't have uh, the same type of access. Uh, we're less competitive in the Japanese market than we were. Uh, six months ago, so I think that's that's also going to be something uh, that, that weighs on us, provides headwinds on us. But at the end of the day, you know, when when our members walk through the door, one of the things that they say is, "Give me a give me a level playing field, and then it's up to me to go out there and get those markets." And, and we really feel like uh, we're the best at, at what we do, and, and if we have equal access and a level playing field, uh, then we can go out there and win and compete in these markets. We're talking with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, let's look at the dairy economy, which we know is really struggling. We keep seeing the headlines about the number of dairy operations lost. Uh, what's the latest on that? Well, you know, in, in 2018, we lost 7% of the dairy operations in the United States. That's the largest exit rate on a percentage basis uh, that we've seen in, in over 15 years. We're, we're talking about less than 40,000 uh, dairy operations in the United States. Wisconsin lost nearly 600 operations alone, leading the nation in dairy farm exits. It's no secret that it's been a really challenging time uh, in dairy country for, for five years now. Uh, farm Bureau, we're doing a lot of things to try to address this situation. Uh, we worked real hard uh, with Congress to get the new DMC uh, dairy margin coverage program. That's that's going to be uh, a great tool for dairy farmers. Uh, our crop insurance dairy revenue protection is also a great risk management tool for farmers. And then we've also uh, convened our Farm Bureau members from across the country. Uh, we're going to form a coalition to go in and really look at, at these federal milk marketing orders. Uh, we've got a dairy pricing system uh, that, that, quite frankly, is about 80 years old here in the United States. Uh, and, and many of our members think it's 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 about time to, to rethink how we do some of the things we do in dairy. It's a complicated system, and it varies from what you know one part of the country to another. Do you think it could be a, a substantial overhaul of that system, or just tweaking of it? You know, Mike, there's a saying in the dairy industry that five people know how milk is priced, uh, and four of them are dead. Uh, so. Milk pricing in the United States is very, very complicated in product pricing formulas, multiple component pricing, skin fat pricing, transportation credits, make allowance. Uh, it's, it's very, very complicated. I think for our members, one of the things that, that we really want to look at, we want to look at where our policy is, and then we want to bring the Farm Bureaus from across the country to get consensus on what exactly Farm Bureau. We represent the actual farmers who are out there milking the cows every single day, what they want, whether it's a farmer in the northeast, southeast, west, or midwest, we want to try to find consensus among our members, and then that provides an opportunity for us to continue to engage on how we get meaningful reform in the dairy industry. Okay, so you're going to you're going to have a coalition within Farm Bureau. Are you going to include uh, dairy groups into that as well in your discussions? 
at this point in time, I think it's it's real important for for farm bureaus across the country to come together uh, and, and talk among brothers across the country, among dairy farmer brothers and sisters, on what exactly we'd like to see to help this industry continue uh, into the next generation. And obviously, dairy farmers across the country. Uh, they're going to be members of their dairy co-ops, or they're going to sell to their local plant. So it won't be a secret what we're doing, but right now it's important for us, uh, all the Farm Bureaus, to be on the same page in our policy development process uh, and then go out there and engage in, in a much wider and, and more important conversation with the rest of the industry. Some have brought up the possibility of looking at a supply management system for dairy. What are your thoughts on that? Well, our, our voting members uh, spent a lot of time uh, in January talking about uh, dairy supply management. Uh, at the end of the day, our members came down and said, look, we're willing to consider uh, a flexible supply management system, but certainly not one that's a mandatory system, a government-based system. Uh, the free market can, can operate and send these market signals to folks on whether we need more or less milk. And I think that's where coming in and looking at the federal order and the way we price milk uh, is, is very important because potentially some of those market signals are being missed. Uh, and, and we're putting together a compilation now just for information purposes on all the historical efforts uh, in the past to, to try to control the milk supply in the United States, whether it's the milk termination program of the 80s, base excess programs, or even the dairy market stabilization that was proposed in the last farm bill. So we're putting all that information together. Again, you know, our members... Uh, it's real important for us to get together and figure out what the farm bureaus would like to see uh, for the future of the dairy industry. Trade will impact this as well, but what is your price outlook for this year? Do you see any improvement for dairy prices? You know, I think we, we have seen some improvement uh, in the dairy markets uh, on the back of nonfat dry milk. We've seen uh, higher nonfat dry milk prices. That's helped to lift Class 4 prices. Uh, butter prices remain above two dollars per pound, two twenty per pound, and then we've seen some recovery in the cheese market. So I think uh, things are stabilizing uh, in in 2019. Unfortunately, you know the prices in 2019, USDA has it at about seventeen dollars uh, for an annual average milk price. That's still uh, below the cost of production for a lot of dairy farmers. So there's um, you know there's opportunities uh, for greater improvement if we can get these export markets uh, restored. Uh, but we still got some challenges ahead of us. Do we see production continuing to increase even with fewer operations? Well, that's that's one of the things. I, I have a, a good colleague, uh, Dr. Marin Bozik, who's done some done some work indicating to me that uh, we've got milk production per cow. The growth in that space is exceeding the population growth. So, even though we're seeing uh, fewer fewer uh, cows and fewer dairy operations. Uh, than we than we saw in previous year levels. Milk production continues to set new records uh, in the United States, and that's going to be a challenge. It, it needs to slow down uh, somewhat until we can get demand rebalanced, and that means getting access to those key export markets. On top of that, you have the immigration issue, which impacts the dairy industry greatly. It, it certainly does. I, I think you know our members. We bring about five thousand members a year. Uh, through our office here in Washington, D.C., to go up and talk to their members uh, on the Hill. And one of the things, you know, they talk about the state of the farm economy, but, but even uh, more important to that is uh, access to uh, the inadequate supply of labor. Uh, labor markets in the U.S. are, are very, very tight, uh, among the tightest that we've seen in probably 50 years. Uh, and that really puts pressure on, on farmers and ranchers, their ability to get access to labor, and at the end of the day, a lot of them, they're more concerned with who's going to be there at 3 in the morning to help milk the cows as opposed to uh, what the milk price may be or, or whether or not we got a farm bill done. Labor is very, very important. All right, John, thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing uh, when you talk with your uh, folks in Farm Bureau on this issue on dairy and what kind of consensus maybe they will come to. We'll be interested to hear that. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Mike. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, some trade issues to talk about. China, USMCA, we'll talk with the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley, up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, former Secretary of Agriculture and the President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Well, we're hearing criticisms uh, being raised, uh, especially by some House Democrats on USMCA, saying it needs to be renegotiated. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are a number of different ways to address any concerns. There are side agreements. There is implementing legislation that could provide some assurance to, to members. At the end of the day, I know a lot of members are currently concerned about the impact of retaliatory tariffs, and if they're not lifted, Mike, uh, that would basically negate the benefits of the trade agreement. So I, I think there are a lot of issues the administration has to deal with. I know Ambassador Lighthizer has been working hard listening to folks and trying to figure out uh, the narrow path that all trade agreements have to pass uh, in order to get through the system. Uh, I'm confident that by the end of the day, people will realize that, at least for agriculture, this is an incredibly important uh, agreement. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills our math, our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org.
Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And joining us now, the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley. Ryan, thanks for being with us. Hey, Mike, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Lots of trade things to talk about. China, we we have heard, I don't know how many times I've lost track, that we're getting close to a deal. Now now things are kind of quiet. Is that is that a good sign or a bad sign, you think? No, I think it's a good sign. I think it's a good sign that uh, negotiations, this is really, it's quite remarkable. We have had ongoing negotiations with China almost weekly since Christmas time. And certainly late January through just this past week, it, it, there have been very few weeks that nothing has happened. There's either been phone call, so a virtual negotiation, or in-person in Washington or in-person in China, and it ebbs and flows. So there, there are certainly detailed conversations where there are agricultural individuals that are involved in, in the negotiations, whether it's the U.S. trade representative, agriculture, agriculture's um, person at USTR, which is Greg Dowd, Ambassador Greg Dowd, or USDA. I know that there are individuals at USDA that have been engaged. Ted McKinney has been there, um, Undersecretary Ted McKinney. So they are there one week, and then the next week it's more Ambassador Lighthizer at USTR and other high-ranking officials within the administration, and then it goes back to some, some more of these detailed conversations. So it's good because I think it shows that they are having conversations on some of the challenging issues, and then it goes to the upper level to say, yeah, are we okay with that package? And then back to the detailed negotiations. So now, is that happening for um, – we're hopeful that's what's happening right now. But I think the fact that we continue to see these negotiations and that they, they admit that they're moving forward and they're moving in the right direction, but they're really difficult, I think those are realistic expectations. That That's, that's how a real negotiation goes in trade. In the meantime, they make these purchases, and all purchases are welcome, but they're certainly not to the level they've been in the past. How do you look at those? Are they uh, a sign that hey, China just really needs uh, you know product from us, or are they kind of teasing us along and uh, kind of you know stringing us out on this? Uh, how do you, how do you view that? Yeah, Mike, it's absolutely the right question to ask, and it's something that uh, we love to see. China buying U.S. soybeans, and we love to see them buying other U.S. agricultural products. I think that's really important that they do that. And, and the Trump administration and China has said these are goodwill purchases. So we are indicating to you that even though the tariff is still in place, we're going to make these purchases. It's a, it's a sign that we are willing to continue in, the, in these negotiations and, and that we want an outcome where we can purchase U.S. commodities. That's what the Trump administration says. That's what China says. And, and we'd like being able to sell those products. That, it, we would be lying if we said otherwise. However, I think U.S. agriculture in general is saying, while that's good, it's not what we had before. So until we get to the point where we have an open trading relationship, let's not get too excited about these purchases. So it's positive to see them, but it. We're, we're not to where we need to be right now. We were hoping to see an agreement by March 1st, and we're into April right now. Yeah, negotiations are ongoing, but farmers in the countryside, the listeners right now, they understand what it's like when you can't sell a product to China and the impact that's having on the prices at the farm gate, and that's tough. We're talking with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. We turn now to USMCA. We hear Canada's readying a, a retaliatory list uh, so, I mean, we're still waiting to get things officially going in Congress uh, towards a vote, but uh, those tariffs that we have on Canada and Mexico are still a, a big thorn in, in, in this uh, process, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is really tough. I mean, the, the, so what we had before, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, that we had NAFTA. We've had NAFTA since the mid-'90s. 
And so the administration, the Trump administration, came in and said, we're going to renegotiate that, and they came up with USMCA, or the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Free Trade Agreement. That was agreed to, was negotiated in 2018. The heads of all of those um, countries agreed to it and signed off late in the year. And now we have to go through a process where we approve it within each country. And so for the United States, it, it operates under a, a procedural motion where Congress can vote up or down. They can't offer any amendments. They can do some additional things on the side, but they have to either vote for it yes or vote for it no. And the president has yet to send the, act, the actual legislation up to the Hill, um, or the agreement, rather, up to the Hill for that vote. And, and so right now we're in this educational process where everybody is talking about USMCA. What does it mean? What are the benefits? Agriculture, American Soybean Association, and a whole bunch of others are really putting on this educational full-court press to members of Congress to explain this is what USMCA is. This is the benefit to agriculture. This is how it helps us. And so in the midst of all of that, we have this other thing that's going on, and that's Section 232. This is the steel and aluminum tariffs that the administration, the U.S. Trump administration, applied to Mexico and Canada to say this is a national security issue. We need to protect our industry, steel and aluminum industry, here from a flow of, of foreign imports. And so Canada and Mexico are now saying, look, you have these tariffs. You want us to, you want to pass USMCA and have free trade, but you're keeping these tariffs on us. And so now we're starting to see Canada consider retaliatory tariffs on those 232. And, and so while they're separate, they are certainly very, very linked in the standpoint that if we're going to see a USMCA, people in Congress, people in Mexico and Canada are saying, we need to resolve this 232 issue at the same time. Yeah, resolution of these issues has been elusive, that's for sure. We continue to wait. Ryan, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Mike. Take care. You too. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Coming up tomorrow, we'll take a look at more USDA numbers, the impact of the flooding, and uh, these trade issues on the markets. Also, a look behind the uh, why gas prices are going higher. All that coming up tomorrow here on AOA. Hope you'll join us. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.